All right. So I got the official count today. We've got 87 ABBA University students right now. And the first quarter starts September 17th, which is Monday. And so there's still room for you and you and you. So if you have not signed up, please go to abba-u.org. We rolled out the payment plan. You can do three payments of $35 a month if you don't have the whole 95 bucks up front. We just throw in a $10 deferment fee. Uh, but we want to make it accessible to everyone. Three payments of $35 a month, or you can pay 95 bucks up front. Actually, nobody has uh, taken the payment option yet, not one person. Everybody is just paying the 95 bucks up, m- up front. And actually, we've had a handful of people pay for the whole first year, 350 bucks. You think about it, 350 bucks for a whole year of school is not bad. So, good. I'm excited. And... Uh, I want to bring something to your attention tonight. We've been talking about this theme, the fellowship of the burning heart. What we're really talking about is God's heart for the way in which we interact with one another. And I want to talk to you tonight about that phrase, one another. One another. You know that phrase appears 72 times in the Bible? One another. In Genesis 4-9... Cain is minding his own business, and God appears to him and says, where's your brother Abel? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? The implication is that the answer to that question is yes. You are your brother's keeper. Our American culture, and especially American Christianity, has become so individualized that there's this idea that's very prevalent in contemporary Christianity, that when you stand before God, he's not going to ask you about anybody but you. Have you heard that before? When you stand before God, he's not going to ask you about anybody but you. But yet, when God comes to Cain, he doesn't ask him about Cain. He asks him, where is your brother Abel? Even in the earth, God asks you about others. Why do we think at the end of the age, he's only going to ask us about ourselves? Jesus says in John 13, 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. One another. Romans twelve ten. We talked about this a little bit on Sunday. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans twelve sixteen. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding. So those of you who borrowed $5 from somebody last Sunday. <laughs> Except the continuing debt to love one another. Loving one another is a debt that we never repay. No matter how much love I give you. You know, they say it all the time in the movies. I don't owe you nothing. 
I don't owe you nothing. Yes, I do. I owe you a continuing debt of love. It says the continuing or perpetual debt to love one another. Why? Because we are to love one another, Jesus says, as I have loved you. Meaning that you can stop loving others when you come to the end of the love of Jesus Christ. And as long as you are receiving out of the abundance of that love from him, you owe a continuing debt of love to the other members of the body of Christ. Romans 15, 17. Accept one another. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You know what acceptance is? Acceptance is only necessary where there's a temptation, a, a temptation to reject. I don't need your acceptance until you're tempted to reject me. You know, you may not like my shirt or my belt. My belt gets a lot of attention because it's shiny. But not everybody likes it. Or my watch. No, my belt. You might not like my belt. But if you don't like my belt, I don't need your forgiveness. I need your acceptance. Meaning, I don't like this about you, but I still accept you. I don't like this about you, but I won't reject you because I don't like this about you. Acceptance is the act of embracing someone even though there's something about them that is repulsive to you. Romans 16, 16. Greet one another. Very simple, right? You go to church and don't talk to nobody. Don't even say hi. When you go to church, you should greet everybody. You should walk up and down the halls. You know, we live in a culture where people just don't greet each other. Even on the street. You know, you, you walk past somebody on the street and you pretend not to see each other. That's something in me that just feels wrong. I go out of my way to make eye contact with strangers. Hey, hey hi. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Greet one another, but especially at church. People go to church and don't make eye contact at church. The Bible commands us to greet one another. And if we want to go on, it says with the holy kiss. A holy kiss. Not an unholy kiss. We're going to contextualize this passage. We're going to leave out the holy kiss, but at least a holy handshake. How about a holy smile? Quit looking like you're sorry to be here. Quit looking like I'm so sorry to see you. Seeing you just ruined my day. How about looking like you just made my day? How about allowing the look on your face to communicate to somebody, you bring me joy. And that's holy. With a holy kiss. That is, there's something holy about when brothers and sisters in Christ greet one another joyfully. Oh, this one's difficult. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, brothers, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a trip. Paul is using the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The same formulation he uses to cast out a demon or heal a sickness. He says, in the name of Jesus. Now, you know, whenever somebody says, in the name of Jesus, they're trying to make something happen that ain't going to happen any other way unless Jesus moves it. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He used the whole formulation. He used every, every title, every designation that he could find. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have thrown of Nazareth up in, up in there. <laughs> you know? That all of you agree with one another. Oh, no, I just like to smile. So that all of you, uh, so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. He says, in the name of Jesus, agree with one another. Same thing is in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, come out. Like he's casting out a a demon or healing a sickness, he commands the church, agree with one another. Be in agreement so that there may be no divisions among you. I love this one. Galatians 5.13 You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. You know, there's a point at which freedom becomes demonic. We talked about the guy who lived over in the region of the Gerasenes. Ooh, that brother was free. They put chains on him. He just broke those chains. You can't chain me. Put him in a prison, said he broke the prison bars. It said no one could restrain him. Why? Because he was possessed by a legion of demons. He was free, but it was a demonic freedom. And Jesus came to set him free from that false freedom. Whenever Jesus sets you free, he simply removes one form of freedom and replaces it with real freedom. Because everything looks like freedom, even if it's a bondage. He says, all of you are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Well, I'm just doing me. Why'd you give so-and-so an attitude? Look, I'm just being me, okay? I'm not about to pretend I'm something else. I can't come in a room and act like I like somebody even if I don't like them, okay? I'm just going to be me, okay? And if you don't like me... If you don't like it, well, that's just too bad because I'm just me. If I don't like somebody, I just let them know you're in the flesh right now and you're calling it freedom. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Don't tell me that's the freedom of the spirit when it's not love. Rather, serve one another in love. Anything that does not serve one another in love is the flesh. 
Ephesians 4.2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know what that means, bearing with one another? You know what that means? It means I've got to put up with you. Love is the ability to put up with foolishness over an extended period of time. Yeah, that's foolishness, but I love you. See, you can bring me all the foolishness you need to bring me because I love you. I'm going to bear with you, meaning I'm going to tolerate it. I'm not going to succumb to frustration or anxiety or fear, and I'm not going to respond with anger, I'm going to bear with you. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. What is compassion? Come means with. Passion means to suffer. It means to suffer with one another. Be kind and compassionate When was the last time you looked into the eyes of another member of the body of Christ who was suffering and you began to suffer with them? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And in the context of this passage, it's telling us to be compassionate towards those who have hurt us. Now, I can be compassionate towards someone who's going through some unrelated suffering, some suffering that's unrelated to me. But when someone has hurt me, to be compassionate towards them, to actually suffer with the one who has caused me to suffer. Now I got to be like Jesus. Because after you nail hand, nails in my hands and feet and put a crown of thorns on my head, I have to look at you with eyes filled with compassion and say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that's why we need supernatural grace because he says, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Isn't it so wonderful reading the Bible? It's an amazing book, isn't it? (laughs) How about Ephesians 5, 18 and 19? Do not be drunk with wine in which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, how do you speak to one another in songs? Does that make sense? For years, I read this passage and said, how do I speak to you in songs? How do I speak a song? Hymns. Spiritual songs. Speaking to one another. The key is the last part of that verse. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If you're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, then out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. If my heart is filled with praises to the Lord, then when I open up my mouth to speak to you, what I will speak will be the substance of my song and my hymn 
and my spiritual song that is constantly being made melody in my heart to the Lord. I'm constantly singing to the Lord. So when I speak to you, it's almost as if I, in the middle of a conversation, it's like, cause you know, when I think about the Lord, you know how he saved me, how he raised me. I mean, how he filled me with the Holy ghost. He healed me to the uttermost, David. You know what I mean? When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and, and turned me around, he set my foot on solid ground. It just makes me want to shout. It's like if that song is just turning over and over again in, in my heart. And so that means that in order to learn how to relate to you, how to speak to you, i got to be careful what I allow to reverberate in my heart. That's why I don't listen to Kanye West and to P. Diddy, Puff De- and 50 Cent. Because people say, well, is it a sin to listen to that kind of music? Well, I don't know if it's a sin. Some of it, yeah, obviously. But I just want to be careful what I put in my heart because if I put that in my heart, then when I go to talk to you, it's going to come out of my mouth. But if I'm singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord, then when I speak to you, my song is going to come out. Oh, this one is tough. Everybody brace yourself. Put all of your guards up. You're going to need them for this one. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning if you don't submit to one another, you ain't got no reverence for Christ. Oh, I'll submit to the pastor. But don't let nobody else ask me for nothing. I was on a mission field one time and one of the mission team members he followed me around like a little puppy dog. Pastor, what do you need? Oh, you need some? I'll get that for you, Pastor. Pastor, can I get your plate? I, get, I said, look at this brother. He's such a servant. What a wonderful son. Isn't this marvelous? He's just serving me. He's serving his inheritance. And then a, a, a couple of days into the trip, one of the team members said, Brother, can you hand me that right over there? He looked down and said, get it yourself. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How about this one? Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Wait a minute, I thought only the pastor was supposed to teach and admonish. Do you realize that you should be teachers by now? But yet you still need somebody to teach you? <laughs> Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you don't spend any time allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly then you won't have anything to teach anybody or admonish anyone with. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Here's another good one. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 
Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. It's funny. I thought the pastor was supposed to encourage me and build me up. What is this one another? Is it, has it yet become obvious to you in this message that by and large the body of Christ has abdicated its responsibility and institutionalized it in the office of the pastor? So that so much of what we're supposed to do for one another, we, ex- we pay the pastor to do for us. How many frantic phone calls, emails, and Facebook messages have I received from people saying, Pastor, I'm discouraged. Encourage me. You don't have a brother, a sister in earshot, in phone shot, in email shot, in Facebook shot of you that you can't ask for some encouragement. you got to go straight to the pastor. Encourage one another. When was the last time you went looking for someone to encourage? By and large, the body of Christ has completely missed the great power of encouragement. Because you know what I do when I'm frustrated and overwhelmed? I look for somebody to, to encourage. I look for somebody to encourage. I tell you, it works like a charm. In whatever context I'm in, if something is breaking down and I keep hitting a wall in one area, I look outside of that area for somebody to encourage. I think, Lord, who in my phone list needs a word of encouragement right now? And I try to call the person who's in the worst situation I can possibly find. But the natural man says, I don't want to be around anybody else's problems when I'm faced with my own. I got my own problems. I don't need yours. And that is the ploy of the enemy. Number one, to isolate us so that we never connect with anybody else. And number two, to keep us perpetually in our own problems. Because the power to break through your own situation lies in you stepping out of your situation and encouraging somebody else in theirs. And so I find that I feel frustrated or I feel overwhelmed. I grab my phone and I call somebody. Brother, what's going on in your life? Don't talk about me. I won't even tell you what's going on in my life. I'm calling to talk about you. How can I support you? How can I encourage you? And you know what? When I find that place of, of authoritative encouragement. Where I'm building somebody up. Where I'm breaking through barriers in their life. And I see them get victory. You know what it does? It reminds me of how mighty God is in me. And I go, the God who is so powerful. He could break through in this person's life. He can handle this little problem. And I go back into my situation. And now I have victory. Mm. I love this one. Hebrews 3.13 It says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that we're always thinking, I'll encourage someone tomorrow. But the Bible commands us, is it today? Then you should be encouraging somebody. Is it called today? Is it still today? And the cool thing about the day is that no matter what day it is, it's always today. (laughs) 
I don't care how much time passes. Whatever day it is, is always called today. And so encourage one another daily. Every day you should encourage somebody. Every day. I don't care what you're going through. Find somebody to encourage every day. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about random folk. Do you know that there's really four great, the, 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 the four, there's a, a fourfold commandment. Love God. Well, actually, four marks of discipleship. First, love God. Second, love one another. And third, love your neighbor. And then fourth, make disciples of all nations. Do you realize that when Jesus commands us to love one another, and when he commands us to love our neighbor, he's talking about two different things. Because when he tells the story of loving your neighbor... The parable he gives is about a Samaritan, a stranger, who's out there on the street and not part of you. But when he commands love one another, he's talking to the disciples about other disciples. So oftentimes we try to love one another by loving our neighbor. And we skip right over the one another and go right to the neighbor. This is what I did for this woman on the street. This person completely unrelated and we're not loving one another. We're loving our neighbor and that's good. But Jesus says, you got to love one another. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. Not that you love your neighbor, but that you love one another. A few more. Is that okay? Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider... How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How can we spur? What is the image? What does it mean to spur? If you got spurs in your boots and you're riding a horse and you want the horse to go, you stick that spur in the horse's side and the horse moves forward. How do I spur you on? I got to stick you in the side with something sharp. In other words, to spur you on, I got to find out what's necessary to activate you. And what's necessary to activate you might be different than what's necessary to activate me. Because if I stick you with what people stick me with, you might not move. You might, if you stick that horse with a knife, he falls to the earth and dies. He doesn't, he doesn't move on. Sometimes we call ourselves encouraging, but instead of building up, we're actually killing folk. And so it says we must consider how we may spur one another on. Meaning it takes thoughtfulness. It takes discernment. To to look at a brother in the house and say this brother has been sitting on their blessed assurance for too long. We got to spur him on to do something. So how are we going to get him moving? We got to consider it. We got to think. Let's all pray about it. Let's come up with a plan to move these people on. They've been at this level for too long. Let's move them forward. Let's pray. Let's ask. We must consider how we may spur one another on. The next verse. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
I didn't look at you because I'm talking about you, Bex. I just happened to look in that area. (laughs) But let us encourage one another. In order to encourage one another, we got to be around one another. We have to be present now. Let, let Let me just lay this out for you. One of the fundamental marks of maturity is the commitment to be present. I'm just going to show up. Regardless of what I've gone through or what I've done, I'm going to show up. The commitment to show up. What happens is people go through these cycles in the body of Christ where they go through a struggle and disappear for three months. And then they come back. I haven't seen you in three months. Oh, I was going through a struggle. And then I'm there for six months and I'm growing strong and everything's good. But then I go through another struggle and I disappear for three months. Where'd you go? I missed you. Oh, I was going through a struggle. Now I'm back. And what happens is I go through this cycle, but a cycle is cyclical, is circular, and it does not move forward and it does not move up. If you're in a cycle, it means you ain't going nowhere. You're like a mouse in a wheel. That's what a cycle is. I just keep going through these same steps over and over. Can you imagine a mouse in a wheel thinking, I feel like I've been here before. For some reason, when I touch these rungs, it feels like I've touched the same rung before because you're in a cycle. And so in order to move forward with the body of Christ, you got to make a fundamental commitment to stay with the body of Christ. And the first commitment is to show up. I'm going to come, come hell or hot water. I'm going to be in the house of God with the people of God. If I'm struggling, I'm going to show up. If I'm in sin, I'm still going to show up. I will not let shame cut me off from the body. Because whether you're in sin or in a struggle or in pain, that's when you need the body more than any other time. And so when we disappear from the body because we're going through a struggle, what we're really saying is at the moment when I needed the body more than I ever did in my life, I decided the best thing I could do is disappear. Hmm. We could go on and on. James 4.11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Do not slander one another. Don't speak ill of one another. Translation, say nice things about one another. First one, one of my favorites, 1 Peter 1.22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for the brothers, love one another deeply. From the heart, having been born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible seed through the living and enduring word of God, love one another deeply from the heart. First Peter three, eight. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. I love that one. Not unison. Because I'm so afraid that if I come and I join the group and I submit, they're going to bring me into conformity. We all have to dress the same way and stand the same direction. Put me in the army. And I don't want to conform to nothing. I want to be free to be me. And he doesn't say live in unison with one another. He says live in harmony. 
And harmony is when I'm singing something different than you're singing. But it sounds good together. When two people are on the platform and there's no harmony, it's pretty dry, isn't it? Everybody's singing the same thing. That's boring. Nobody wants that. But you put somebody up there who knows how to sing in harmony. And then put another person who knows how to sing something else. And the bass is playing something else. And the guitar is playing something else. And the keyboard's playing something else. And the drum's playing something else. And pretty soon you got harmony. And it's beautiful. Everybody's doing something different. But it all sounds good together. And that's the trick. Because just because you got a band up here doesn't mean it sounds good. Everybody has to learn how to sing in harmony. You've got to learn how to live in harmony with one another. Meaning I've got to listen to what the keyboard player is doing when I'm playing the guitar to make sure that what I'm doing is in harmony with what the keyboard's doing. doesn't mean I've got to do what the keyboard's doing, but it means we've got to learn to work together doesn't mean I put down my guitar and pick up a keyboard. I might not be able to play a keyboard. But I've got to learn how to sing in harmony. You know, when I grew up, I was in the boys' choir. And we did all of these exercises. There's, I don't know, 70, 60, 70 singers. All of us young boys. And we had these camps where it was just really intense practice and vocal coaching and training and music classes and all of this stuff. But we had uh, what was called ear training classes. And what they would do in ear training is they would take the regular songs we all sing, and we had sopranos and first soprano, second soprano, and alto. Because we were all boys. Our voices hadn't changed yet. So we were, you know, singing up here, right? And so typically, you know, you got your sopranos over here, first sopranos, second sopranos, and altos. You know what they would do? They, had a, they mixed us all up. So literally, everybody, if you're, a sopran- if you're a first soprano, you're standing, you got a second soprano on one side and an alto on the other. And it's all mixed up. And then they said, now sing the song. And they direct us. And we'd have to sing it. You had to sing your own part. You had to hold your own. And listening to what the people around you are doing and sing to it that, number one, you hold your own and don't change your part. Don't start singing what one of them are singing. If you stop singing your part and start singing what one of them are singing, there's something missing. One of the things that happens in the body of Christ is that individuals in the body stop singing their own part and start singing somebody else's part. Because we think this is what it means to be in the house and be in submission and and be under authority. I got to do what he's doing and what he's doing. And and I'll start dressing like them and talking like them. and, and, And I'm not, unless I'm what they're doing, then I'm not accepted here or significant here. No, you got to stand your ground and sing your part. Because if you don't sing your part, something's missing. All of a sudden we're in the church and we say, something's missing. There's a part. There should be a third part. And the harmony is not, the, the harmony's not full anymore because some folks are not playing their part. They're not singing their part anymore. But not only do I got to stand my ground and sing my part, but I've got to listen and make sure that my part blends harmoniously with your part. Because if, if my part is in dissonance against your part, something's wrong. If my, and, if, and if my part doesn't harmonize with your part, I'm singing the wrong note. That's the key. It's such a skill. It's so delicate. 
But when I hit that sweet spot where I'm holding my own, singing my own part, and harmonizing with you at the same time, it's full, it's beautiful, it's powerful. It can bring tears to the eyes. May God grant us a spirit of harmony so that we each learn how to sing our own part, but yet listen to one another to make sure that my part harmonizes with your part. Oh, that was, that was real good. Mm. Give myself an offering when I get home for that one. Oh, I love this one. First Peter four, nine offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know what hospitality is? Hospitality means to make a home. Hospitality is when I take you out to lunch after church and pay for it. I made you feel at home in a restaurant. That is, I turned our everyday interaction into an experience of home. And I took care of you. I took you in and provided shelter for you. It's hospitality. Offer hospitality. And it says, offer. Mm. Offer it. (laughs) Don't wait till the bill comes and then wait to see who moves first. Okay, if they don't move, that if you know if they don't move, I'll move. But I'm hoping they move first. You ever been in that awkward moment where the bill's sitting there and you're thinking, "I'm not moving. If I move first, I gotta pay." <laughs> About an 18 second buffer there. Ah, oh, he's not moving. All right, I'll pay. I'm gonna take care of this. Because <laughs> that's an awkward moment. You know. It's hard enough going to restaurants with people because you're thinking, oh, Lord, is this Dutch? Because there's a lot of people sitting at this table. I don't know. I don't know if I can cover it. You're already sweating before the meals come out because you're already thinking, is this is my card going to get declined? (laughs) I'll just have a half salad (laughs) and a water on the rocks. (laughs) Already anticipating I might have to pay for somebody. Offer hospitality to one another. Offer it. Offer it. You know, it's, it, when I was in college, my mother really helped me. I had a, I had a very wealthy friend in college. And uh, he spent money like it, was wa- like it was water out of the tap. Like it was free. And there was no end to it. He took us to lavish meals. You know, I mean, he drove a, a Jaguar and took us to lavish meals and bought us clothes. I mean, he was throwing around money like it was nothing. And my mother saw this going down, and my mother took me aside. She said, son, this is what I want you to do. I know he's your buddy, and I know he takes care of you, but you got to take care of him too. And I said, mom, what can I do? I don't have any money. She said, no, it's not about money. Invite him here and make him some spaghetti and say, I'd like you to have dinner with me and my family. You know, take him to lunch at McDonald's. Say, I'm, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. You know? Make two sandwiches on your way out to school and offer him. He said, look, I made you an extra sandwich. And she said, and this is absolutely central. If you borrow a dime from him, pay him back. And I took my mother's advice. Two things happened. One, we became lifelong friends. Lifelong friends. Even after he lost all his money. He's my friend to this day. He's broke, but he's my friend. It wasn't about money. 
But number two, so many of my other friends who didn't have a mom with the kind of wisdom I had stepped over all of those rules. And you know, he started to feel used. Nobody ever does anything for me. In other words, he was offering hospitality constantly, but everybody simply got to the point where they expected something from him. Let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in your life who constantly offers you hospitality, but you never offer it back? Because you think, well, they got more money than me. They don't mind. No, they mind. Make them a sandwich or something. Bring them a piece of fruit and say, I was buying a plum and I thought of you, so I bought an extra plum. Would you like to share a plum with me? Find a way to show hospitality. That man came to me after a couple of months of that and said, you're my only real friend. I said, why? He said, you're the only one who ever bought me lunch. You're the only one who invited me to, to his home and made me dinner and invited me to have dinner with his family. And you are the only person who ever paid me back out of all of our friends. And you barely borrowed anything. He was hurting. You know what hospitality does? Hospitality can make you friends for life. Hospitality goes beyond meaningless surface connection. It builds lifelong relationships. You say, I don't have any friends. Offer somebody some hospitality. Nobody ever invited me to lunch. Well, you invite somebody. You want to make friends? Be a friend. Show yourself friendly. Mm. All right, that's enough. You know what this requires? In order to do this one another thing, you've got to transcend the self. The greatest obstacle to one another is self. It's reading this week and meditating this week in Ephesians chapter 4 and You know what I find is when the Lord lays a passage of scripture on my heart, what I try to do is read it in as many different versions as I can. And just go back and just read it again and again and again. Just pour over it. And something occurred to me that probably occurred to me before, but I, you know, I have so many things on my mind that I forget things and then rediscover them as if for the first time. And I rejoice like I just got this revelation. I say things all the time. Today, Pastor Daniels was telling me something on the phone. I said, that's amazing. Where'd you get that from? He said, I heard you teach it. (laughs) I said, I never heard that before in my life. He goes, you taught it last year. I just, (laughs) I just, I said, really? Wow. I was deep back then, (laughs) man. I must've backslid or something. But anyway, this is what the Lord gave me here in Ephesians chapter four. I'm I'm just going to bring this in for to a landing by giving you this. Um, He says in chapter 4, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, which was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
says the old self is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. What characterizes the old self, the non-spiritual self, what we call the fleshly self or the soulish self, is that it's corrupted by its own desires. And those desires are deceitful, meaning they are the work of deception. Meaning the only reason you desire them is because you are deceived. And so you are corrupted by deceitful desires, by desires that come from deception. The old man is always desiring, and that is what characterizes old self living. The life of the old self is constantly desiring but never being fulfilled. The old self is impossible to please. No matter how much love you give the old man, he never feels loved. No matter how much acceptance you give him, he never feels accepted. The old man is constantly desiring because he's been deceived into believing that he's not complete. And so he's constantly crying about what he does not have. About what has not been given to him. About what somebody should have given him but hasn't given him. When I'm in the old self, I might cry about what my mama should have given me but didn't give me when I was three. And my daddy should have given me when I was five but didn't give me. And what my wife should be giving me every night but is not giving me as often. And, and, and what my church members don't give me in the love offering. And what, and what, the, what my staff doesn't give me. And what, and what my uncle doesn't give me. And what my aunt and what Alethea doesn't give me. The old self we even cry about what a three-year-old girl does and give it the old man is always crying always feeling that he desires but the new man walks in psalm 23 spirituality the lord is my shepherd i shall not want the new man does not want because he knows that he's been given fullness in christ and when i'm walking in the old self i don't have time to encourage you i'm too busy crying about how nobody encouraged me I'm like the man at the pools of Bethesda who's just sitting there for years crying. I have no one. I have no one. When the waters are stirred, no one helps me and puts me in the water. I don't have anything. I don't have anybody. And Jesus is standing right in front of me. And so I can't think about you because I'm too busy living this old self life. In this old self mentality where I can't encourage you. I can't spur you on toward love and good works when I am stuck in the inertia of passivity. (laughs) The old self life is a sedimentary life. It's spiritually sedimentary. It doesn't move. It just sits in front of the television of the soul watching reruns. Reruns of my childhood and reruns of old relationships and reruns of of my school and reruns of my last job and reruns of what somebody did to me and reruns of what somebody didn't do for me and reruns of what I should have had and didn't have. And I'm living in this old self life, but I'm I'm a soulish couch potato. I can't help anybody. 
So you never find a word of encouragement on my mouth for anyone. Too busy watching reruns. And so Paul says, you got to put off that old self. Didn't say heal it. You can't heal it. You just put it off. You put it off. You send it away like God commanded Abraham to send Ishmael away. And it broke Abraham's heart to send Ishmael away because it was his son whom he loved. And here is the key. When you die to the old self, you're dying to something that you naturally hold dear. I told you my spiritual father rebuked me so strong last Friday. I was sitting there thinking, why is he talking to me like this? He never speaks this way. But, uh, uh, ouch. My wife said, we were sitting there together, and my wife said, baby, do you want to share your side of the story? He said, I don't need to hear Benjamin's side of the story. I'm not even going to give you an opportunity to speak, because no matter what you say, I'm going to say the same thing when you're done. You are wrong. He looked at my wife and said, Sonny, you deserve better. And you're going to require him to do better. And I'm going to require him to do better. <laughs> I'm thinking, but, but, but. You know what? I was in searing pain after that meeting was over. I prayed over it for three days, and Monday morning, the Lord finally spoke to me. This week, just this last Monday morning. I said, God, why was I in such deep pain? I know he loves me, and I know he was right. So it's not like I've been mishandled or mistreated. And he's earned the right to speak that strongly to me. He's shown me nothing but love and care for all of these years. So why am I in such pain because he gave me one word of correction. And finally the Lord spoke to me on, on Monday morning. And he said, son, I allowed you to go through this to bring that little boy out. And heal him and grow you up into a man. Because the little boy can't handle what I'm about to give you. But the man can handle it. So now it's time for you to grow up. To grow out of that old self that's constantly needing and constantly thinking about what it should get from others but is not getting. Constantly thinking about what your wife should do for you. Do you know what the new self does? The new self says, I'm going to love you without expecting anything in return. The new self says, even if you curse me, I'm going to bless you. The new self says, even if you're my enemy, I'm going to pray for you. The new self says, even if you despitefully use me, I'm going to bless you. The new self says, how I treat you is not dependent upon how you respond to me. You don't have that much power over me. You can't stop me from loving you. That's what the new self says. The new man is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And if there's one thing about God, it's that his love takes a licking, but it keeps on ticking. It never fails. It never gives up. Never runs out on me. See, that was been turning in my heart. Come on, somebody. Just stand up and give God a shout of praise. I think you got it tonight. Come on, just open your mouth and begin to glorify God. Yeah.
Father, we glorify you tonight. We bless you, God. We give you all of the glory. Lord, tonight you're calling us out of that old self life. And you're calling us into the life of the new self. That old self, it grows corrupt by its deceitful desires. But the new self, it's created to be like God. And Lord, you've just called us to put it on. To put off that old self. And to put on the new self. God, you are desperate for us to put on the new self. So that we can love one another. So that we can care for one another. So that we can submit to one another. So that we can agree with one another. So that we can live in harmony with one another. Lord, all of these things, we can encourage one another. We can spur one another on toward love and good works. We can do this one another thing. But we got to transcend that old self life. And God, we come to you tonight and we just lay aside the old self. We just, we push it off right now. We put it off right now. We put it off. That needy old self. That needy old self, it's deceived. It thinks it needs and it doesn't know that it's been given fullness in Christ. Lord, we judge every work of the flesh. We judge every work of deception. Some of us in this room right now, there's some in this room right now, and your soul is in agony. And you're, you're starving, you're thirsting, you're crying out. I'm here to tell you tonight that there's a new man that God already created for you. And he's perfect and complete. That man is your spirit being. That inner man, as Paul calls him. And he prayed that God would strengthen you with might in your inner being, in your inner man. That Christ might dwell in your heart through faith. And right now, I speak strength to your inner man. That inner man is the place where you've never been touched. I don't care how you've been harmed. The inner man has never been harmed. Even if you were raped, the inner man was not touched. You say, I feel defiled. Well, that inner man has never been defiled. I've been rejected. The inner man has never been rejected. But God wants to take you to the place where you identify more with the inner man than the outer man. That outer man may be perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. That outer man might be wasting away, but the inner man is being strengthened with might by his glorious power. That outer man feels vulnerable, but the inner man knows how to put on the whole armor of God so that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. That inner man, and I strengthen you in your inner man, but I strengthen you in your inner man for a very specific purpose tonight. You're going to take that strength of the inner man and give it to one another. You're going to take it. You're not just going to walk in personal, isolated, individualistic strength. You're going to encourage one another as long as it's called today. You're going to encourage one another daily. If it's today, you're going to find somebody to encourage. You're going to see it. You're going to look deeply into people's faces. And see when they're struggling with something. And your heart's going to be moved. You're going to take them aside and say, look, I can see you're going through a struggle right now. Tell me what's going on. Let me encourage you. Let me build you up. You're going to pray every day that God would give you his words. And husbands, you're going to love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Let me tell you something, husbands. The Lord showed me this so clearly. What my, what my spiritual father was rebuking me for was areas in which I was expecting my wife to die. Do you know that in order for marriage to work, somebody has to die? But it's typically the wife. And she typically has to die to her needs so that she can meet ours. But the Lord showed me, he said, that's so unbiblical. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The Lord showed me this week, he said, Benjamin, you got to die. 
You got to die to your needs. You got to die to your wants. You got to die to your sense of, even your sense of propriety, what's right. And you simply got to love your wife and you got to give yourself. And you know what? That, that old self died in me when my spiritual father rebuked it. That thing in me that wanted to live at the expense of my wife, that I didn't even realize that's what was going on, it died in me that moment and something changed. And my wife felt the shift and I immediately began to act on it. And you know what happened? She was given new life. And when she was given new life, she gave me new life. You know, us husbands, we can, we can always, we, we feel like we're waiting for our wives to treat us a certain way before we treat them a certain way. we got to flip the script on that. Husbands, you're first. You be the first to die. That's what it means to grow up. The little boy, little girl, the child always feels that it's in need. Always worried that it's not going to get what it needs. But you know what the mature know? They know that the Lord is their shepherd. Because that I don't want for anything. So it doesn't matter. I'm not in it for what I can get from you at any level. Not from the church, not from my wife, not from my baby, not from anyone. Because I'm already full in Christ. But I'm always looking for someone to encourage. You got to live that way. I'm always looking for someone to encourage. I don't go to the church to get fed. I go to the church to find someone to encourage. And I got to be there. Why? Well, I can just download the message. But you can't download someone to encourage. You can't encourage nobody through the youth stream. You got to be in the house to find someone to encourage, to spur on toward love and good works. The strength of the Lord is all over you tonight. The glory of the Lord, it rests upon you. Tonight, during worship, the Spirit of the Lord reactivated Isaiah 60 in my heart and mind. It's as if the Lord said, Did you not forget that I told you to arise and shine? For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Sons and daughters of the house, rise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I speak blessing, I speak encouragement, strength and peace. And I activate you to be encouragers. And to do this one anothering thing. Make that your practice. One anothering. What are you doing? I'm one anothering. Matter of fact, that's the title of this sermon. One anothering. The practice, the discipline of one anothering. That's what I'm going to do. Father, I speak blessing and peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed. Come on, give God a shout of praise.